Welcome to Abide's Sleep Meditations. I'm Tyler Boss, and I'd like to invite you to try the number one Christian meditation app, Abide. You know, just that word alone, Abide, or to remain in Christ, is why I love this app so much. It continually encourages me to remain in my Creator, which helps me to grow in so many ways, even as I sleep. And I hope you find that same encouragement as well. You can text ABIDE to 22433 for 25% off the Abide app. Just text ABIDE to 22433. Now, let's relax as we hear tonight's sleep story. Hi there. Thanks for joining me tonight. This really is my favorite time of the day. When I get to put my head down on the pillow close my eyes and get some sleep I hope you can do that too and I hope you get the rest we all need I want to tell you a story and I'll start by telling you that it's not my story I just found it in a box of things that belonged to my grandpa Charlie he was born in 1912 and went through some pretty tough times himself he lived during the Great Depression and had to make some tough choices the economy collapsed and our country was gripped with fear jobs were hard to find and people who had worked places for a long time were laid off the good news is all that ended But during that time, people like my grandpa Charlie did what they had to do to make money. Grandpa Charlie became a hobo. Now, hobos were different from bums. There was a completely different ethic. Bums were folks who were just looking to get something for nothing. They always had a handout and were never really willing to do anything for what they were given hobos traveled to where they could find work we're talking about people who were willing to leave everything behind and go to another city or state to get a job they were hard-working fellas for the most part it's estimated that there were as many as 250,000 teenagers catching trains to find work during the Great Depression my grandpa Charlie was one of them when I was just a kid he taught me a couple of verses from the Bible Proverbs 21 verses 5 and 6 the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death I didn't get why these verses were so important to him until I learned his story I want to say a word of prayer with you and then I'll read you Grandpa Charlie's story in his own words Father God we thank you for this day we thank you for the blessings of the day we thank you for rest We know that Jesus rested, and we pray for the kind of rest he enjoyed. 
please, shut out the storms of the day and give us a peaceful sleep. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Just go ahead. Lie back and listen as I read you Grandpa Charlie's story. I fixed it up a bit so it'll be easier to understand. But as I read it, I really felt like I was in a boxcar, gliding over the rails of America's railroad systems. I could see and smell the places he described. I hope you will too. And with that, here we go. I was 17 years old, living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and getting ready for school when my papa came home from work. He'd never come home from work that early, so I suspected something was wrong. I was hiding on the other side of the doorway when I heard him tell mama that he'd lost his job. The plant he'd worked at for almost 15 years was closing. It was the only time I'd seen Papa cry. Thoughts of school disappeared. I was going to have to help the family. I needed to get a job. That was fine. Papa had taught me about hard working and earning my keep. To tell the truth, I, I was happy that some things were about to change. I called on my buddy, Morris, whose dad worked with Papa. Obviously, his dad was out of work, too. He'd been wondering what he could do to help. I figured Morris would have an idea. Well, he sure did. Morris had heard that there were farms in Iowa and Nebraska that were looking for workers. They didn't pay a lot, but whatever it was was more than we had right now. The only question was, how would we get there? Milwaukee was a long way from Iowa, and even further from Nebraska. Too far to walk. Morris didn't see that as a problem. He said we could just jump on a train and ride out there. It wouldn't take more than a day. When I said I didn't have money for a ticket, he suggested we catch out, which meant hopping onto a train of boxcars. There was a problem with this idea. It was against the law. But Morris pestered me and pestered me until I agreed to do it. He said our families needed the money. And it wasn't like we were just catching out to go on an adventure. I didn't think it was a great idea, but I didn't have a better one. It was a Tuesday night when I told my family, Mama and Papa, my brother Arthur and my sister T, that I was going to go looking for a job. My folks weren't happy that I would be leaving school, but they were okay with the idea of me working and earning. I didn't have the nerve to tell them I was leaving home. I left a note on my bed, telling Mama that I was okay, 
but that I'd be hopping on a train to find work. Then snuck out the window with my eight cents, my cap, and a bindle, carrying a few pieces of bread and half a chocolate bar I'd been saving. I met Morris at the end of the street, and we walked together to the railroad yard. We knew that a cargo train would be leaving late that night, and as we approached, we could hear the screech of those massive cars being connected. We could smell the coal burning as we got closer. That was a smell we'd get used to in the days and weeks that followed. Outside the yard, we met up with other fellas who were catching out, just like us. Some were experienced. Some were even younger than us wearing the most threadbare clothes you'd ever seen. The knees and elbows of their clothes were worn through. I didn't know if it was from hard work or play. None of them were clean. I think most of them had been away from home for a while already. The older fellas taught me that you can't get into a boxcar while it was still in the yard or the bowls. The guys who guard the railroad yards for the company would find you and toss you in the clink. You had to catch the train while it was just getting started and moving slowly enough to hop on. Make sure you got both hands on the ladder before you start climbing, said a guy who didn't look any older than me. His hands looked large and strong, probably from hopping trains every few days. He chewed his nails down, but even they were pretty dirty. Morris and I were frightened. But we got plenty excited when that long train came riding out of the yard and started heading west. From all around us, kids stood up in the grass and started running through the steam cloud for the line of boxcars. Some kids knew what they were doing better than me and got to the cars first, climbed in, and got the doors open. I ran alongside, my legs pumping as fast as they could to keep up with the train that was gaining speed. The stones crunched under my shoes, and I had to make sure I didn't trip on one of the massive railroad ties. Two fellas put their hands out to me, and I grabbed on. I had to keep running for a bit, but... Finally, I was able to jump, and my new partners pulled me into the car. I looked back to see if Morris was still running, and was happy to see him climbing into the boxcar behind us on the line. The car I was in was about 12 feet wide and maybe 25 feet long. Its floor was made from wooden planks that hadn't been replaced since the turn of the century. Parts of it were worn through until there was nothing but a hole. There were scorch marks from where other hobos had burned something. There were names carved into them too. The walls were metal, and I could only imagine how hot this room would become in the daytime. It was cool at night, and if the door was open a little bit, which it was, we'd get a breeze blowing through it. The breeze included some smoke from the engine. The room stunk like burning coal. 
The one side, there were a few wooden crates of cargo. They had stenciled letters naming off the cities that they had traveled to in their lifetime. Always ready to be reused when something needed to be shipped to another location. They were pockmarked with empty nail holes from the hundreds of trips they'd already made. I looked around at the other guys in the car. There were only three of them, and we all kept to ourselves. I think we all were there for the same reason, and nobody wanted to make friends with someone they might never see after the next city. They all curled up and tried to get comfortable enough to sleep. I'm guessing that, like me, they were too excited to settle down. We were all tired, but our adrenaline and anxiety were keeping us from resting. I sat by the door, looking outside and getting my first view outside the city of Milwaukee that I'd ever had. I'd never been anywhere, and I wanted to see what the rest of the world looked like. The train was outside Milwaukee in just a few minutes. The buildings and houses gave way to farm fields and wooded areas. I'd never seen anything so wide open. Even in the dark, it was impressive. The smell seemed to change as well. There was less of the smoke and more of the natural outdoors smells. I could smell the crops that were planted on both sides of the track. I had no idea corn smelled that way. Or grain, or beans. It was all so new to me. The moon gave the Wisconsin countryside a blue tint, like nothing I'd ever seen before. Even the trees and grass looked blue, and I couldn't help but think this trick of the light was beautiful. I don't know how long I watched before the click-clack, click-clack of the track and the rhythmic rocking of the car caused me to fall asleep. When I awoke, the sun was casting a long shadow beside the train in the tall grass. I looked ahead and noticed that the landscape had changed some. It was no longer all flat like it was closer to Milwaukee. Now there was grass and dirt-covered hills all around us as the train snaked its way through a valley. To me, it was like waking up in another world. Nothing in the city looked like this. Were these the mountains I'd heard about? Was it possible I'd fallen asleep in Wisconsin and woken up in Colorado or Utah? No, that couldn't be. These were hills, good-sized hills, but still just hills. These weren't the mighty Rocky Mountains I'd been told about. There were still rows of corn or other crops. You don't do that on a mountain. As far as I knew. I asked a couple of my companions if they knew where we were. One of them turned away without speaking, but the other two shook their heads. 
I suspected this was their first time outside Milwaukee, too. I decided to be friendly and get to know my traveling partners. Turns out I was right. This was their first trip, too. They didn't know where we were, but they had heard the train was going to Dubuque. Danny and Alan, the guys that pulled me into the car, were the two guys that talked to me. They were brothers around my age and pretty nice guys. Their mother had baked a couple of cakes to take with them when they caught out, and they offered me a piece. I shared my chocolate with them. I never have said it at home, but those cakes were better than the ones my mama made. They weren't dried out, so they didn't fall apart in my hands. As we talked, we wondered aloud, what was going to happen to us? We really didn't know, which was something none of us had ever felt before. It was a little scary. Some of the other fellas could have told us what we could expect, but none of them were in that car with us. I asked Danny and Alan where Dubuque was. They said, Iowa. That was perfect for me. Morris and I wanted to go to Iowa, and here we were. Our first train out was going to get us there. I didn't know where Dubuque was, but wherever it was, I was sure I could find work on a farm there. The other guys planned to go further. They'd heard that there were jobs in California in the orange groves and strawberry farms. And it was so nice there. You didn't even need a roof over your head. You could sleep underneath the stars. I liked the sound of that. I never much cared for shoveling snow or walking in that cold wind that blew off Lake Michigan and chilled you to the bone. Sleeping outside sounded wonderful. As we approached the train yard, the other fellas told me I needed to jump off. If I got caught in the yard, I could get arrested and spend a couple of nights in the local jail. Since I wanted to look for a job right away, I, I followed them. It was a reminder that what we were doing was not strictly legal, even though there were a whole bunch of us doing it. I met up with Morris, and we started making plans. We asked around and found out pretty quickly that there was no farm work in Dubuque. We were in Iowa, but just across the border from Wisconsin. Pretty much the whole state stretched out ahead of us. The other bows told us that there were trains heading north and south leaving that day, but nothing going further west for a day or two. We were going to have to settle down for a little while. We found an area where the hobos created a little living area by the Mississippi River. I found out later they called it a jungle. There wasn't much there, and we'd be sleeping on the ground in long grass. There wasn't any shelter, so we'd actually be sleeping under the stars. That sounded good for a while, until it started raining. Not a big storm or nothing, just a steady, continuous rainstorm. Some of the other hobos started walking toward town. 
where they could tuck into the doorway of one of the big brick buildings. Morris and I followed, hoping there'd be a place for us. We found a spot on the main street, but it wasn't a dry doorway. It was a park bench, pulled under a big oak tree. It was mostly dry, and the wooden seat was slightly more comfortable than lying on the uneven ground back at the hobo jungle. Morris and I sat under that tree, eating my last slices of bread and talking about what we would do with all the money we were going to make working that farm. We talked about getting some new clothes and shoes and eating in a fancy restaurant, lunching on hamburger sandwiches for two meals a day. To listen to us talk, you'd think we just struck oil. But all that talk of food just reminded us of how we didn't have any. As we scanned the area around us, we saw a whole bunch of fellas that had nothing either, and I figured we might have to compete with them for jobs. The fear I felt on the train came back. Before I could become heartsick, a woman came running toward us. She was wearing a long coat and holding an umbrella over her head. She had a hat that might have been new ten years ago, but had seen a lot of living since then. She asked us if we were looking for a place to stay and a hot meal. Morris said we were looking for work. She didn't laugh, but she looked like she wanted to. She said all she could offer was food and a bed at the mission. At the mission? What did she mean? What was a mission? She pointed at a building down the block, a big, sturdy brick building with big windows out front. On the windows was painted, Dubuque Mission. Come ye, all who are weak and heavy laden. I wouldn't say I was weak or carrying much of a burden, especially since my bindle was pretty much empty. But I liked the sound of a meal and a bed. The lady even let us use her umbrella as we walked to the mission building. It didn't occur to me that while she saved us from the rain, she got soaked herself. At the mission, they gave us a hot bowl of chicken soup and a hunk of bread. It didn't quite compare to Mama's fresh-baked loaves, but it was just fine for my empty belly. The soup wasn't the best either, but it was hot and free, which is about all we could afford. If I closed my eyes and tried real hard, I imagined I was at Mama's table, smelling her food. Twenty-five or thirty other hobos sat in the room, hunkered over the soup as if they'd expected someone to come take it away. But that never happened. We were able to eat in peace. For a while, at least. We were mostly done eating when an older fella in a brown suit walked up to a small wooden podium at one end of the room. He was just a little guy, with a big shock of gray hair and a gentle look on his face. 
The sleeves of his shirt were a bit threadbare, but he seemed happy as he set a big book on the stand in front of him. He told us first that the price of the soup and the bread was to listen to him speak for a little while. He even joked that if we didn't listen, he wouldn't ask for the soup back. A couple of fellows laughed at that. He opened up that big book and started reading. He turned pages and read again. I couldn't understand everything he said until he got to a passage in a book he called Job, chapter 5. Although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground. Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause, which doeth great things and unsearchable marvelous things without number, who giveth rain upon the earth and sendeth waters upon the fields, to set up on high those that be low, that those which mourn may be exalted to safety. He spoke about how the whole country and whole parts of the world were struggling. He talked about fear overtaking us and making us desperate. The proof was all us boys sitting there, eating their soup and bread when most of us should be in school. He didn't condemn us for running away and even told us it was good that we were looking for work. But he said that we wouldn't find real peace until we gave our hearts to Jesus. That was a weird phrase. Give your heart to Jesus. He explained that it meant making Jesus, God, the leader of your life, following him and attempting to do what is right in his eyes. I never thought much about God before. I knew of a few churches near our house, but I'd never really been inside any of them. I guess I knew that God made everything, but I'd never imagined that I could be friends with him the way this old guy said I could. He spoke for about half an hour, and when he was done, I wanted to talk to him more. I wanted to find out whatever I could about God, especially God helping me out. The old guy said God would help me. He might not find me a job right away, but he would definitely be with me and watch over my soul. He told me my soul was who I really was, not the body I carried around. And someday, my soul would stand before God and confess that I was one of his children. Or I wasn't one of God's children? That sounded pretty nice. I wanted to be one of God's children. I prayed with the old guy and he said that I was now a Christian. It was all new to me, but he gave me a Bible someone had left at the mission. I could read it and learn more. He told me to read a book called John, which was all about Jesus. 
I slept pretty good that night. The next day I wrapped my bindle around my new Bible, and Morris and I caught out on a train going west. I don't know how many miles I traveled with that old Bible, but I read it almost cover to cover two or three times. Did we find a job in Iowa? No, we didn't. We had to go further west. All the way to Oregon before we found steady work. That lasted for a few months before we had to head south to California and find new employment. The last thing I expected to find while hopping freight trains was God. But two days away from home, at a mission in Dubuque, Iowa, that's exactly who I found. And my life has been worthwhile ever since. It hasn't been easy. Even after I gave up my life of travel and settled down back in Milwaukee. But it has been meaningful. I think back to all those other fellas that went out looking for work and adventure. Most of them didn't find God. Lots of them fell on some pretty hard times. I pray for them. The guys I met and the others that were out there. Because if I can find God while I'm riding the rails, so could they. That's the end of Grandpa Charlie's first story. He was a hobo for a couple of years, and I know he had a lot more adventures. But that was the most important part, getting to know Jesus in a personal way. He'd be happy I was sharing this with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me, and thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for this story I could share with my friend. I pray for them right now that you will bless them with a great night's sleep. Put away the cares of the day, dear Lord, and give them the peace that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Sleep well, my friend, and God bless you. <laughs>